Hi, everybody, and welcome back to No Praise the Machine. This is episode number 96. As always, I'm one of your hosts, and I go by the name of Arizona Holland. And as per usual, I'm so happy to be sat digitally next to my number one king of podcastery. He's got to be the one called John Maloney. And John Maloney, episode 96. Do you have any memories of 96? You were in year eight at St. Ignatius College. It was your first year when the school went co-educational, it was the first time mm. you saw a girl. First time I saw a girl, um, except for my mum. I was allowed to see my, <laughs> I was allowed to see my mum, but that was it. <laughs> because for, and, because maybe we should just let the audience know you and I yeah. were both in the same year of what was an all boys school. Yeah. And then they decided they could make a whole lot more of that green if they let the ladies in. So mm, that's right. So we so it was a great time for us. <laughs> they, had a, they had a staff meeting and said, "We're missing out on half the market here, guys." <laughs> there's a yeah. there's a whole. We got to get that bag. The Jesuits said we got to get that bag. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, it was a great time for us because we were coming into the age when you might start mm. to take an interest mm. in when a girl or were. a boy. But for us, yeah. it was girls. And yep. they arrived in 1996. The uh, hi, the school went co-educational. Yeah, it was very exciting. I, I have a quite a vivid memory of that first day of high school because, and probably probably others will have similar memories because you know you you might you might be at a new campus. It might seem suddenly very large, and you kind of feel as though you've leveled up. You've gone from being a sort of a child milling around in a little primary school to uh, a new phase. Mm. And for me, it was, for me, it was an added aspect of that, that I could see in their bright red blazers, all the new, so bright red, all the new exciting girls uh, who, you know, I probably took me about another three and a half years to talk to one of them, but it was nice <laughs> just to know they were there. <laughs> <laughs> and also want to say 1996 makes me think of the debut album from United States of America, hip-hop and businessman superstar Jay-Z. His Reasonable Doubt album came out, and I want to give everybody a little bit of a recommendation. Oh. My favorite Jay-Z track. I mean, I'm not so familiar with his oeuvre, but mm. my favorite Jay-Z track is on the album, which is called Dead Presidents 2. So if everybody okay. wants to check that out, check it out. Jay-Z, Dead Presidents 2 is an absolute boom bap. 90s golden era hip-hop jam. And mm. I want to give you another little Gen Z lingo challenge, John, to start off the episode. Keep it real light and friendly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This one you kind of already know because I've already asked you to say it a lot off mic. <clears throat> And that's for you to just that's for you to just throw in the expression at the end of something that you're doing. Mm-hmm. And that's what's up. <laughs> I love that. Love that very much. There's a guy that we both know and others will have 
no doubt come across him on social media. And he does these interviews kind of walking, you know, kind of like passerby interviews mm. on the streets of New York principally, I think, if not exclusively. And they're always about people's wealth and yeah. people's employment. Yeah, and he'll, he he'll goes, scream at them something like, what do you do for a living? Yeah, you look rich. What do you do for a living? And they'll go, Hey, you got a cool look. What do you do for a living? And he'll go, and Then there'll just be this guy go, I'm in real estate. And he'll go, That's what's up. And then it'll just cut to the next one. And he always finishes with, That's what's up. And then, no matter what they say, I'm, uh, I'm currently unemployed. That's what's up. <laughs> and I said to you, I said to you in the week, you you sent me a photograph that I sent you probably like two years ago, and it's a yeah. photograph that I took of myself wearing nothing but red <laughs> underwear and standing in front of a full length mirror, <laughs> kind of trying to get the lighting right and making like, yeah. making like muscles because I think I was feeling particularly trim and terrific that day, and so <laughs> yeah, took, yeah, and and of course I'm you're awesome. and you'll the... send a photo of myself in my underpants <laughs> to my friend John. Of course. Of course, you're the only person that I've ever sent that photograph or any photograph <laughs> like that. You're the only one who gets them. And I sent it to you. And then you sent it back. I hadn't thought about it for years. And then you sent it to me like last week. And I said, I wanted you to, sh I wanted you to pull out your phone and say, yeah. this is a photograph of my friend Al. And then just show someone who doesn't know me and just say, and that's what's up. <laughs> yeah, I think... I think I told you that I was on a, I was on a guided hike in Laos and, uh, the guide was showing us pictures of his kids at home. So I just, <laughs> in exchange, I just showed him that photo and they said, <laughs> and that's what's up. <laughs> uh, so last week, John, we talked about the nineties and you very beautifully titled the episode. We forgot to remember the nineties. And we spoke <laughs> about how it took a lot longer for the nineties mm. to trend and become something that the current culture focused on much longer than the eighties. Mm. And I still think that they're nowhere near as identifiable as the 1980s. Uh, we discussed yeah. the reasons for that. We had a lot of feedback from people. So I thought I'd just dive into some of that i want to say thanks sure, to everybody yeah, that lovely. wrote in and said gave their two yeah, cents great. um the it first led thing, to a groundswell a groundswell of feedback as i expected it would uh, my friend mm. sarah from copenhagen i love her feedback was just you should have mentioned aqua that was just it <laughs> she's just like how did you do anything to do with the 90s and you didn't get aqua in there mm, somehow so there will be an it's not a bad point there will be a, a more aqua uh, on the podcast coming up because I'm a huge Aqua head. I remember a recruiter once said that to me when I didn't get a job after the job interview. <laughs> he said, "He said you should have mentioned Aqua. You should have mentioned. <laughs> you should have mentioned the two lead members of Aqua. I don't know how to pronounce her name. L e n e Lean Lena and and the uh, the bald guy who everybody else has forgotten, but he's a bit of a celeb in. Uh, Denmark and potentially Scandinavia. Rene Diff is his name. Oh, Shout yeah, out to all the guy. Diff heads out there. <laughs> Hiya, Barbie. That's Rene Diff. <laughs> uh, and my friend, uh, your brother Tom wrote, hmm. and yeah. uh, he brought up a point which which I can't believe we didn't mention, which is just the fact that the very I, I mentioned GTA Vice City, 
the, uh, yeah. the very popular video game set in the 1980s. And just two years after that came out in the year 2004, GTA San Andreas was mm-hmm. set in the 90s. However, I would add that I, I don't mm. feel like there's, and he mentioned this as well, there's potentially not that many things in that game that are ne- that are necessarily that 90s beyond like no. the golden era 90s hip-hop soundtrack. And it does follow mm. a couple of kind of uh, 90s themes like the, the right. evolution of the crack epidemic that had started in the 80s oh, and the, okay. kind of, the kind of hip-hop gang, the kind of gang uh, warfare that, Mm. that became, I guess, a bit more obvious to the outside world through gangster rap a lot of the time. Mm. That's interesting, though, that Rockstar Games with their finger on the pulse pretty early on. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And your friend of mine, Brett, wrote to us about mm. a, I think it's like a Hulu television series called Pen15. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's correct. And, and she she said... That this was kind of set in the early two thousands, is that right? Yeah, and had a had a quite a distinctive two thousands vibe. Yeah, and apparently. that's that's quite a recent. That's quite a. Mm. That's also quite a recent production. And I looked it up and was mm. surprised and excited because I just love mm. being proved right. And that is the fact that Who doesn't? one of the. Uh, Three of the executive producers of that show are The Lonely Island, a.k.a. Andy Samberg, uh, who we mentioned, who I mentioned. Yeah. The Lonely Islander, Andy Samberg, and two of his mates, Akiva Schaefer and Jorma Tacconi. And, yeah, they're executive producers of this Pen15 show set in the year 2000. And as I mentioned last week, Andy Samberg and his uh, sketch comedy from SNL, Dick in a Box, also mm. produced by the Lonely Island. So Andy Sandberg mm. is you were pointing, which you were pointing to as one of the few examples of a kind of self-conscious reference to the '90s from the mid 2000s. Yeah, it's so he's obviously got a good, he's got a, a good sense of the uh, changing of the zeitgeist. Andy Sandberg. Yeah, there you go. He's despite being in uh, Brooklyn Nine Nine, which really <laughs> should have. <laughs> Should have ended about eight seasons ago, in my opinion. But uh, there you go. It's got to make a buck. And also my friend Jan uh, mm-hmm. pointed out another piece of evidence to support my theory, which we absolutely should have mentioned, and I can't believe we didn't. And that is the fact that the film American Psycho... Mm-hmm. Which uh, is heavily identifiable as distinct from uh, the surrounding decades. It's set in the 1980s, based mm. on the film by Brett Easton Ellis, published <clears throat> in 1991. But the film is set in the late 1980s. And, of course, everybody mm-hmm. that watches the American Psycho film uh, sees it as being hyper 80s. And that film came out yeah. in the year 2000, just 10 years after the 1980s ended. Mm. Christian Bale playing Patrick Bateman. <laughs> Mm. Do you like Phil Collins? (laughs) (laughs) So thanks to everybody that wrote in and said that we were right and Mm. that we really got a finger on the cultural cultural pulse and that we're really discussing some things that aren't being spoken about so much outside of this podcast. We're talking about the wrap-up raps. We're talking about the Mm. fact that it took so long for the 90s to trend when the 80s were trending so 
early nostalgically. Yeah. He wants to thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. And we'll, I think we should just, as a precautionary measure, make sure that we talk about Aqua in each episode in case we face criticism on that front. Yeah. Guys, what's your favorite Aqua song? Is it, don't mm. be so basic and say Barbie girl. We want you not to forget about Dr. Jones <laughs> <laughs> and if you want to do a real deep cut, you could talk. You could mention the one Aqua song that isn't a kind of silly song, and that's mm-hmm. "Turn Back Time" from the film "Sliding Doors" with Gwyneth Paltrow. And uh, we could actually we should do a whole episode on "Sliding Doors" because yeah, that's a completely forgettable film, and yet, yeah, and yet now yeah. we talk about "Sliding Doors" moments, mm. which is kind of There's crazy. There's a whole lot of, I think we touched on that early on, because there's a whole lot of films which are, you know, which left a kind of cultural legacy, which is out of yeah. step with the quality of the film. The bucket list. And that list. is one of them. The bucket list. Exactly. Who the fuck remembers that, <laughs> that Jack Nicholson being in that film? But everyone's like, this is a bucket list item. Uh, that's so true. That's probably another thing mm. that we've noticed that nobody else had. We deserve so mm. many more listeners. And I want to just <laughs> slide into the next segment with a little rendition of Turn Back Time by Aqua from Film Sliding Doors. What goes, if only I could turn back time, if only I had said what I still hide. Thank you very much. Beautiful. So, Al, a couple of episodes ago, we did a segment, which I imagine we will return to in due course, called What Have You Tubed? <laughs> Cleverly named. What, 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 what have you tubed? <laughs> Cleverly named by you, which was about, um, you, I think it was the inspiration for it was that you you love a bit of a YouTube, but mm. you were trying to, rather than just go cold turkey, you were trying to redirect your YouTube habits in a more constructive and developed, d- sophisticated direction rather than just putting neurological rat poison through your eyes every, <laughs> every day. And, uh, and, <laughs> and uh, that's, this, this is kind of in that spirit, although it doesn't concern YouTube, but another, I think, another somewhat Google, neglected. Google product. Another somewhat neglected <laughs> Google product. Um, and it, the reason I came to think about it was because when we got back from our trip to Laos, uh, one of the things we did on the trip was we went on a hike up to this little village and we spent the night in the village and we came back down. And it was this, you know, like very, very tiny little place. Um, and I never, I think I, I, I just kind of almost as soon as we got back, had stupidly forgotten the name of the village that we went, that we stayed in. And I, I remembered all these kind of place names from the trip, but I'd forgotten, couldn't for life of me remember the name of this village. So I thought it would be a real shame to kind of completely forget where that was or not be able to sort of just like for it to be a memory that I couldn't place. So what I did was I went on Google Earth and yeah. I found the, and I, I knew that, there was a waterfall nearby, which we had been to. So I typed in the name of the waterfall and then I kind of just looked around in kind of in the spirit of that guy from that film. Is it called lion or something? It's it, a 
did you ever did you ever see that film as a guy who grew up in a in a Indian village, got lost, was kind of eventually adopted by an Australian family, and through using Google Earth, he managed to kind of find his home village. Amazingly, no. so it was a kind of much more modest version of that, where I just went to the waterfall, <laughs> looked around, kind of was like, "Oh, this looks like the path we walked down, so I'll just follow that path," and then eventually got to what I'm quite sure is the village because I, I could see, you know, where the school was and all this kind of stuff that was identifiable. And yeah, I mean, I, I, in the process of doing that, realized that I hadn't really been on Google Earth or at least hadn't really paid any attention to it for yeah. quite a few years and that it had improved considerably in that time. It looked much sharper and much more impressive than I remember it looking, you know, back in its origins. So I, I did a bit of reading about those origins and the core technology that drives at the kind of spinning globe that you can zoom into actually dates from the 1990s but then they started the people who made google earth started developing what would be more recognizable as google earth in the very early 2000s so i think the first iteration of google earth as, as such was in something like 2001 and it was a bit of a obscure you know application online but then the iraq war happened uh, invasion of Iraq, I think, in about 2003. And major news networks started to use this in, in America in particular, CNN, NBC, etc., started to cover the Iraq war. And they would use the Google Earth functionality to yeah. kind of zoom in on particular places. And they they did that, obviously, attributing it to Google Earth, attributing the that technology to Google Earth. So then... Google Earth kind of exploded in popularity and became this kind of long-running phenomenon and people were, um, you know, like the CIA was was interested in the technology, obviously because there were, and no doubt its counterparts overseas, obviously because there were like um, intelligence implications and so on. But <clears throat> fast forward to now and me wasting what turned out to be qu quite a bit of time on Google Earth that day and in subsequent days, in particular today, I almost missed an appointment because I was <laughs> spinning that globe. And I, and I got to say, there are not many corners of the internet anymore that kind of fill me with childlike wonder. But for whatever reason, when I'm like hovering over the Amazon rainforest and I just hit the street view button and it like whips down into, into like the expanse of the Amazon from the perspective of, you know, somebody who's taken a photo, I get like this little rush of excitement, probably because I can remember what that was first like and how kind of revolutionary that seemed. Yeah. You know, it's this kind of old, old fashioned idea of like, wow, the world's at my fingertips and I can like, <laughs> I can type in like, you know, Easter Island or whatever, I'd go to some location and look at some photos or I can just like hover over uh, some location and think, wow, what's down there? Did you, you know, did like you look at your own house? I did look at my own house. Yeah. Cause and I remember that's what everybody was doing when it, when, when that technology was first available to the public during that period, you're talking about the early days of, oh, have you heard about this new thing called Google earth? I remember everybody was looking at their homes mm. and you could see 
Mm. You could see people that had swimming pools next yeah, to yeah, you, yeah. and you could see which cars were in the driveway. <laughs> exactly. And then there were these odd, you know, because it's sort of now tied to Google Street View, and there are, you know, this kind of parallel technology where you could toggle between the two. And so you could go, you know, like you could look at your house. You could also, which I've also done, although not for some years, looked at like you can also look at an old house that you might have lived in as a kid or as, an, yeah. as a younger person and kind of go, oh, I remember I used to go to the milk bar, so I'm just going to like street view my way. You know, it's one o'clock in the morning and I'm feeling nostalgic. <laughs> I might just street view my way to the to the milk bar and weep as I toggle the little thing. I'll play Dr. Um, Jones by Aqua and I'll Google Earth <laughs> my way to the milk bar. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Good use of Aqua. And uh, and there you go, Sarah. There's more Aqua. <laughs> <in> the <show. laughs> and there's this little cottage industry of people who have over the years, and they're from like various specialities, various disciplines, and they use it to do these like quite fine grained searches of the globe for things like, you know, I was looking at kind of some prominent examples, and there's there's things like. Um, geographical features that maybe were unexplored or archaeological sites that people were looking, for example, at like some sand dunes in Egypt and they were like, oh, this this dune is kind of moving in a weird way, which suggests there's something under there. So we have to go out there and look at it. And sure enough, there was something there. There was a guy who found this weird little volcanic, volcanic sort of plateau in Mozambique that looked to be pristine rainforest and was completely unexplored so he wow. he went there and discovered all these new species and then obviously people have done things like been kind of hovering over china or the u.s and found like secret prisons or military installations yeah. and things like that and then it causes this flurry of like you know do we or don't we as the owners of google earth pixelate it and whatever and there's also this phenomenon which i love of people discovering villages of uncontacted tribes yeah your favorite thing you know like i've got a nerdy fixation on (laughs) uncontacted tribes who are basically (laughs) it's a kind of loose term applied to people who either voluntarily or not they uh have kind of um have isolated themselves from the outside world so they're you know traditional societies living in um you know the in the amazon rainforest or in kind of remote parts of png or whatever and uh i just love the idea because it makes me think that we live in some kind of huxley-esque dystopia that you can use satellites (laughs) to just like zoom in on their little villages (laughs) and and i was like i was looking at the sentinel islands where one of this one of these tribes lives this is the tribe which people might have might remember there was a guy, they basically haven't been contacted at all for about 40 years. Most recently, there was a American missionary who went out there trying to preach the Gospels to them and got speared and dragged into the jungle. So Classic. That's, they're not, by all accounts, they're not really interested in engaging. <laughs> but uh, but you can look at, you can go to North Sentinel Island and just zoom over these trees and think, what are they doing down there? I wonder what they're doing down there. And of course... The the main drawback is that it's not um it's not real time. You know, you're looking yeah. at historical you're looking at satellite images which might be a couple of years old in some cases. And one of the interesting things that I was reading about is kind of changes to that. 
uh, more recently there be, there's been a kind of big push to democratize the use of satellite imagery. So there's like there's companies. One of them is called SkyFi, for example, which is like offering people the chance for something like 170 US dollars. You can basically take control of a well. You can direct a satellite what? to go to particular coordinates, and then it's. I can't believe how cheap it is. It seems crazy. You can basically say, "I want this. I want a satellite photo." During the day, I want it to be high resolution. I want it to be of this particular 25-kilometer-square area. Wow. And then they just go and the satellite just goes, yeah, okay, goes and does it for you. Wow. And then there's others where there's other rival products coming up where you can basically um, kind of take control of. You can effectively rent uh, a satellite that's just orbiting the globe and kind of it's got a choice of a few different trajectories that it goes on and so you can say yeah i want to go over this area and take a few photos of that area which i just love and i don't know like do you have an an area in my you want undiscovered tribes yeah i want undiscovered tribes (laughs) like what my what i really wanted i discovered i i learned about myself as i was looking kind of as i was kind of gliding wistfully over the Amazon rainforest on Google Earth. I was like, oh, it'd be great if you could get just kind of real-time, really highly zoomed satellite imagery that would allow me to zoom in and out and, you know, control the satellite in real time so I could be like, oh, I just want to go back and have a look at this or I want to have a look at that from a different angle. And then it occurred to me that what I was basically what I was basically yearning for was the kind of technology that the NSA had in the 1998 Will Smith film Enemy of the State, <laughs> and uh, and so just just for our view, just for our listeners, just recall, help them recall what happens yeah, in that. Sure. So that my under, my recollection, and I had a look at the plot summary, but I remember it reasonably well. It's it's from 98, so it kind of predates, obviously, the sort of um, post 9/11 interest in security and encroachment into people's private lives so people are treat it now as a bit of a prescient film like so many Will Smith films <laughs> and uh and um it involved him and Gene Hackman I think was the NSA guy maybe and it was basically he came into possession of some damning confidential documents uh on a on a CD or something yeah. and that somebody, that somebody who was being hunted by the NSA threw into his bag, you know, it was this kind of happenstance thing. And then he spends the rest of the film running from the authorities and trying to stand up for his individual rights. And, uh, and so it's a movie that kind of raises questions about the power of the state. And one of the, one of the memorable images is it kind of got, it, it, it imagined that the NSA had this kind of technology where they could kind of zoom in right on like a in real time. footpath in real time and like Locate. you know as if you were as if you were kind of using a GoPro like zooming in on individual people on the street in Manhattan yeah and I was I was reading about it and the guy it kind of created this cultural impact at the time that the NSA were quite worried about and this guy Michael Hayden who became the director general of the NSA was like that bloody film, you know, he was like, I don't, I just, I don't want people to think that that's what the NSA is doing. So they kind of ran this like 
counter PR psyops, campaign. Psyops campaign to be like, that's not, yeah, that's right. That's not what we do. And it turned out exactly. That, it turned out that they were being very forthcoming. The NSA, and it turned out they absolutely had no interest on spying on the no, general population, no. unbeknownst to them at all. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Then people were like, oh, well, this movie is basically. Pre, you know, presaging Edward Snowden and yeah. all that sort of stuff. And uh, so, but I mean, the point for my purposes is that I realized, I guess, that the real reason I was titillated by Google Earth wasn't Google Earth at all. It was just that it reminded me of the patron saint of DPT and Will Smith. <laughs> and I should have known by now that really any schblag that I start working on is only like two degrees of separation from Will Smith. And the, uh, so there you go. And then Will does a wrap-up rap during the credits of the film. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and we, sh yeah, I think in due course, maybe we'll wait for prices and technology to move a bit more, but we should have a think about whether we want to, like, design a big DPTM, like, petroglyph in the dirt and then get the uh, satellite <laughs> to take a picture of it, use that as promo imagery. Maybe get some don't praises to to line up and spell DPTM on a beach and then get a nice satellite image of it. Also, this is uh, quite it's quite prescient because this week has been all about the Chinese spy balloon. Yeah, exactly. exactly. We're talking. Not, we, we've got satellites and spy balloons on the brain. Yeah, that's right. It is quite prescient. What I was really thinking was, and if anyone out there wants to steal this idea and develop it because I don't know, I wouldn't know how to do so. Please do so. I would love to see just a fleet of drones that you could hire for your own just idle entertainment purposes at any time. Because I love just, I would love to just take a drone, again, fly it over the Amazon, <laughs> maybe do, do, a, do a few... <laughs> Do a few kind of buzzy fly-throughs of, of uncontacted tribal uncontacted villages. Tribes. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. Maybe go and find, you know, a herd of elephants and just buzz around them and see what happens <laughs> on my lunch break. I can, also, I can also tell you I did a bit of research on why you would want a spy balloon because a lot of people said, why do you need a spy balloon, China? Can't you just use satellites? But one why, of the issues why with, is that? one of the issues with satellites is that they're always moving. So you oh. can't get this kind of elongated real-time surveillance of a site necessarily because the satellite oh. is moving around the orbiting. earth constantly with orbits. And mm, so a spy balloon can just hover there for as long as you want. So Yeah, okay. So that kind can of do some really in-depth meteorological research yeah. as the uh, CCP said it was doing. <laughs>
John, I was on Instagram recently, as I sometimes am, as something really came up that made me think, this is really good DPTM material. And it was a stitched video. For anyone who doesn't know, a stitched video, the term stitching comes from TikTok. It's basically where you take a video that's already existing on a social media platform and then you add your own little bit to it, like a commentary. Mm. And the video started with a very sexy-looking military woman probably in her mm-hmm. late teens early 20s and she was talking to the camera in a very hip tiktoky way and she was explaining she was in army fatigues and she was explaining how she was what she was eating it was like army rations mm-hmm. and she was looking all sexy and trying to be and being cool and being like look at my army rations and i was looking at mm-hmm. it going wow the us military looks like so much fun and then uh, it was stitched by a guy who popped up and he started clicking his fingers and he said, wake up, wake up. It's an e-girl who is in military <laughs> fatigues. It's propaganda. It's propaganda. Wake up, wake up, wake up. And uh, <laughs> and this, this really caught my attention and I thought, oh, what's going mm. on here? So I did a bit of research and the uh, the website Dazed had done a whole article on this. So essentially... It, it appearing that in recent times that the U.S. military, and not just the U.S. military, but militaries mm-hmm. the world over now are using social media as a secret psyops to try and get recruits mm. into the military, particularly the U.S. military, for example. I believe the numbers are starting to dwindle. Uh, right. You know, who? I just can't imagine why you wouldn't no. want to risk your life in faraway <laughs> lands in forever wars that <laughs> exactly. result in nothing. Uh, result in straight losses since the Second World War. <laughs> <laughs> but so this article was fascinating. Uh, so essentially this article on Dazed had a lot of great information and I, can, mm-hmm. and I can use this also to just explain some really hip terms that me and John all know, obviously, but want all you DPTMers out there to get familiar with them. Things like e-girl, things like simp. These are some Mm -hmm, words that mm -hmm. me and John be using all the time to one another. (laughs) And they will be coming up more and more. (laughs) Hey, e-girl. I'll I'll send John a a WhatsApp message that says, what do you think of this e-girl? And John will say, Mm. I'm so excited to simp over her. Lol. (laughs) So, so, uh, yeah. So this is, I think this is from. So you want to unpack some of those terms? I'll unpack some of these terms. So this is from Days that says, with full face e-girl makeup drawn on freckles and a rosy nose, the twenty-year-old is the face of an unsettling new breed of e-girl, garnering millions of views online. Mm. She posts thirst traps. I think we've talked about thirst traps before. It's just a sexually Mm. suggestive photograph. She posts Mm. thirst traps inside choppers and pouty selfies with assault rifles with hashtags like pew pew and hashtag military curves. Oh my Uh, God. She goes by the name Hey Lou Jan. She's Caucasian, by the way, but of course she's chosen a kind of Asian, Japanese sounding e-girl name. Hey Lou Jan, also known simply as Lou Jan, is a self-described... Now, this is interesting. She's a self-described psychological operations specialist for the US Army whose online presence has led to countless memes speculating that she is a post-ironic psyop 
meant to recruit people into the US Army. So what's quite funny is that she leans into the whole I'm a psyops thing. So it's Mm. almost like it's like that classic Russian psyops propaganda where you kind of just destabilize people by saying nothing is real yeah lol lol Mm. because it will have the it will have the same desired effect it doesn't really matter she's just like lol yeah maybe i am a psyop yeah yeah and it's kind of it's that same trend that we often comment on in advertising where people are like yeah we're trying to sell you something ha 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 you know as a way of kind of disarming you and making you Making making themselves kind of insulated from criticism. That's right. Uh, mm. So yeah, she appears as an e-girl or electronic girl. This is from Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. This is from Mum and Dad out there, Marie and Stephen. An e-girl, mm-hmm. e-girls and boys are a youth mm-hmm. subculture of Gen Z that emerged in the late 2010s. Note is from Wikipedia. Mm. Notably popularized by the video sharing app TikTok, it is an evolution of the emo scene of emo scene and mall goth fashion combined with Japanese street fashion, <laughs> such as anime cosplay, kawaii, and Lolita and K-pop. I've I have no interest in any of those things. By the way, just mm. want everybody out there to know they're all things that I passionately dislike. Videos by e-girls <laughs> and e-boys tend to be flirtatious and many times overtly sexual. So that's mm, what an okay. e-girl is. Sort of an anime character come to life. It's, like, it's very much like an anime character come to life. So it's very mm. much like a kind of teenage boy's fantasy come mm. real. Back in the da- back mm. in our day, you'd watch your anime and you'd think that's yeah. a sexy drawing. But now yeah, yeah, you've yeah. got girls dressing up like a sexy drawing, <laughs> holding an AK-47 and saying, yeah. if you join the US military, you could have a lady like me. Wow. So, <laughs> it's so messed up on a variety of levels, isn't it? Fantastic. Um, so, yeah, it looks like uh, the US military wants, I'm going to use and define another term here. The US military wants to get simp men into the army to use as mm. cannon fodder in their far away forever wars of tomorrow. So, <laughs> so simp wow. is, uh, is, again, this is from Wikipedia, a simp, it's internet slang term, it's an internet slang term describing someone mm-hmm. who shows excessive sympathy and attention towards another person, typically someone who does not reciprocate the same feelings in pursuit of mm. affection or a sexual relationship. Originally a shortening of the term simpleton, uh, the, mm-hmm. new, the New Partridge Dictionary of Slang and Unconventional English traces the usage of the noun simp to 1903. And oh. the shortening has appeared, for example, in a New York Times uh, article as early as 1923, where the paper reported on a letter by one Lillian Henderson criticizing the members of two clubs in Atlantic City for un for unmarried men. I guess she used the term hmm. simp. simp. So, th- when, so when I think of simps, I think of people watching Twitch videos, yes. hurling money and compliments at the host of the video. Yes. And kind of whimpering in their bedrooms with the lights off. Is that the basic idea? That's what I think. Yes, that's correct. (laughs) And the thing that, and that's the reason that I just, I love this story so much, John, because (laughs) I love that you've already got this generation of young men who are socially Mm. ostracized and haven't really developed uh, confidence in talking to women. So they find themselves Mm. online and the US military and militaries all over the world. There's examples of, of, um, Israeli military uh, influences doing the same thing, actually, in many of these oh, articles. Wow. 
And uh, the militaries are just rubbing their hands together, going, <laughs> we can use these sad, lonely boys and we can, yeah. we can pretend... We can get these women to pretend that they'd be interested in them if they only joined mm. the military. And then we can just get their limbs blown off by IEDs and <laughs> no one gives a fuck. <laughs> it just seems Man. so dark to it's me. It's dark, isn't it? Fucking hell. I mean, it's, you know, it's a time-honored tradition, basically, isn't it, for the US military to get to get uh, psyops to... to kind of manipulate socially isolated people into mm. joining the military. And this is uh, a savvy use of modern technology <laughs> for that purpose. <laughs> Reminds me, I mean, this kind of dovetails a little bit into my, uh, like, uh, like streaming in, in, in general and just kind of mm. simping and streaming and Twitch. And I've got a little, <laughs> I've got a little, uh, a little. Qu- plays into your hands. Yeah. Because you say. You sometimes say to me, "Why aren't people more vocally critical of this?" I say this, like, this. I say this all the time. I don't. I don't <laughs> understand how there's really not a lot of vocal criticism against streaming. And I'm not talking about gaming streaming. That's a totally different thing. Mm. Like if you're gaming online with people, there's a real social a- aspect. I mean, it's got its own problems, but that yeah, doesn't yeah, really yeah. jump out to me as something that's massively problematic and unhealthy. But yeah. attractive women on Twitch who just sit or, or, you know, TikTok, anybody, any attractive woman, uh, live streaming and yeah. having a massive chat room of men just being mm. like, Oh, we love that. You're just sitting there essentially doing nothing. Can you tell us how to meet girls like Can you? Can you tell us how to meet girls like you? This mm. is, this is not helping anyone except <laughs> that woman by putting a lot of yeah. money in her pocket and uh dptm are a big fan of the show dom sent us a great clip last week that was trending it's from a year ago but it's from our old mate from our old mate code miko who we reported on mm. many episodes ago and we were talking about vtubers uh mm-hmm. who are the real humans who use like animated looking digital avatars of themselves to present online. Yeah. So Code Miko, if you see her, she looks like a 3D generated sexy anime girl. But there's yeah. this great video from one of the, you know, she would do live <laughs> Twitch streaming for hours, but they right. pulled this video of her where this, <laughs> all the men in the chat were going, we love you, Code Miko. Can you give us advice on how to meet women? Can you tell us how to meet women? And she just, you can see her, she's thinking about it and she speaks very yeah. slowly and she goes, um, you guys in the chat, oh, you're asking me how to meet women. Um, when it comes to finding women, and then she pauses for like 10, 10 seconds where she's like, should I bite the hand that feeds me? And then she goes, maybe spend less time on Twitch and on female <laughs> streamer chats. And then you can see the chat just fills up with all these shocked, angry faces from all the men. <laughs> and then she goes, I'm silent. I'm silent. And then she's all sort of sorry about what she said. But it's just obvious. It's just obvious. Yeah. But for some like reason, that. this is not just part the of the conversation. for a second. <laughs> I presume that in her private life contrary to what her simp legion of simps might like to imagine that she's probably not hanging around with anyone who has spent all day 
being a simp. No. And this is my uh, other could issue. be wrong about that. This is my other issue. Like, and this is what I'm going to say to just end this bit. I'm going to say, boys, if you're out there watching mm. sexy ladies on Twitch streams, please get off the computer and go and <laughs> start building your skills, having conversations with people in real life. It's going to make you real much happier. And yeah. I can't believe I have to say Same. this. E-girls don't like you. They have real boyfriends in real life who are out there mm. existing in the real world. And you can be like that too, but you've got to get off the internet. Mm. Streaming is fucking lame. And spending and your attention and money on women on the internet who make you feel like you have a chance for a romantic encounter with them when in reality they would never spend time with an internet-addicted man <laughs> who gets no sunlight and plays video games all day is fucked. Thank you so much. <laughs> that's, my, that's, that's my rant. It's an uncharacteristic, uncharacteristically frank Dutchie's hot tip. <laughs> so we would like to see streaming real in the toilet. I got my eye on you, Twitch, because you're not helping. <laughs> no. And the fact that some people are being hoodwinked into psyops uh, <laughs> tactics thing, yeah. is, is just a vindication that this doesn't lead anywhere good. Doesn't lead anywhere good. And let us know your thoughts, everybody. Am I or am I wrong mm. about streaming? No, but you can have a right in <laughs> and give me a challenge. We've got yeah. a. I do tell us. I do believe that we tell us a story about how you were a simp, and then <laughs> you said just the right thing to the Twitch girl, and then she fell in love with you, and now you're together. <laughs> Thanks so much, everybody, for tuning in episode number 96 of Don't Praise the Machine. I've had a great time with you all again. And I've got a hot tip here. It's actually a little mm -hmm. bit of a recommendation. Uh, and I'm just going to say this. Uh, probably you're a bit guilty of this, John. Mm. Uh, so I don't know what it is <laughs> yet, but I'm sure I am. <laughs> Here's my hot tip because I saw somebody doing it the other day and I'm like, yeah. Everybody just stop doing this right now. Guys, stop taking pictures of the full moon with your mobile phone. Because, <laughs> because maybe one day the technology yeah. is going to be there. And I get it. You see the full moon and you think, this yeah. is amazing. But mm. I, I can't think of a shitter photograph than a <laughs> mobile phone photograph of the moon where you basically just have black and what a blurry speck. Of nothing. I saw this sweet yeah. old man on, on Kaforstendam, the famous shopping street in Berlin uh, on Saturday. And it, the, the moon was beautiful. And he was like, mm. oh, this is going to look so good. And then he opened his phone and he did the like, he was like, holding it up and he even zoomed in. And then he took the photo oh. and you could see him. He looked at the screen afterwards and he was like, oh, that doesn't look like anything like I can, <laughs> like my eye can see. Just a white streak <laughs> in the distance. So that's my hot tip for the week. That's very good. That's very good. I hadn't, I hadn't really reflected on it, um, like so many things that you bring to my attention, <laughs> and now it'll annoy me. <laughs> <laughs> 
Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in to the Prince this week. That's been episode number 96. And water fans, fans, we've absolutely loved talking about John's rediscovered love of the omnipotent Alphabet Corporation's global satellite surveillance technology, Google This week, why not take a moment to peer down at the rolling dunes of the Sahara Desert, the jungles of Papua New Guinea, or your neighbour's new above-ground pool? And haven't we loved talking about the strong possibility that militaries all over the world are creating social media eagle stars, nurse trap videos of other gal faces to normalise military recruitment and create a simp army to defend the interests of the state. Soon to be simp soldiers of World War Three. We thank you for your service. As always, I've been one of your hosts and I go by the name Alexander Holland and it's always such a pleasure to be sat digitally next to my number one party boy podcaster. He's got to be the one called John Maloney. Thanks so much, everybody. Don't forget to stay prayed up and we'll see you next week. At the podcast.